Amen. Good morning. We're going to open our worship this morning with this hymn, Wonderful Words of Life. I'm tired of, of empty words that tickle my ears. I want to hear those gospel words. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words. Beautiful words. Wonderful words of life. Sing with us this morning. responsibility to carry them on. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness that our God reigns. Sing it with us. Oh, uh-huh. 
madly that says in his time he makes all things beautiful in his time Lord please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time In your time, in your time, 
Good morning, everybody. Good morning. No, that was a little anemic. Yes. Uh, let's, let's try that one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Very good. Doesn't that sound good when you... Everybody is so happy that it's a good morning, and you know it is. It is because... Why is it a good morning? There you go. Our subject for today is what I've dubbed the Calvary Road. During this time of the year, we want to remind ourselves freshly of the passion, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And today's reading is a powerful, powerful reminder. And if we can have the uh, passage put up on the screen, we can read it together and refresh our mind about what the Calvary Road is all about. From Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 51, 
when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. It's through the Mark chapter. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. It's the Calvary Road. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're grateful to be reminded once again of that journey that Jesus took, on that journey that led to a hill outside Jerusalem. And Father, we thank you for that journey that he took, without which we would not be able to worship you we would not be able to come to you. And so, Father, we just uh, say thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being present with us here this morning. And we just say, Lord, bless our time together, for we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 2,000 years ago, sometime during the month of March, a young man about 33 years of age in a little town at the foot of a small mountain called Mount Hermon. The town's name was Caesarea Philippi, and I mention it because that's where the journey began. Jesus and his 12 disciples began a journey that I call the Calvary Road. Beginning at Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 51, the road or journey is mentioned or alluded to some 12 times in the next 10 chapters. And the story of what took place on the road forms one of the major, major parts of the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to be reminded once again of what Luke's Gospel says. Luke chapter 9, verse 53 as they were going along on the road. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Now as they were traveling along. Luke chapter 13. Teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. The journey would go through some of the familiar places that we all know about and heard about. Many times, places like Galilee, Samaria, Judea, and finally from Jericho, the last 17 miles to Jerusalem, and then to Calvary. This trip was different from the others because the end of the road this time would be a skull-shaped hill outside the city walls of Jerusalem. The title in Latin is Calvario. The trip was different because of the kind of teaching that Jesus did. Last trips, last instructions, have a unique authority about them. And so I suggest that you note the teaching of Jesus where he had great emphasis. Luke's gospel records 
a total of 27 parables that are unique to the gospel. And 21 of these parables were given on this last trip. And they may be also noteworthy that, that the material covered from chapter 9, verse 51 to Luke 18, verse 14, is exclusive to the Gospel of Luke. And if you want to discover what the Calvary Road is all about, I suggest that you read the Gospel of Luke, beginning with Luke chapter 9. Some of the parables or stories exclusive to Luke include the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus might have thought or wondered, folks, have you remembered what being neighborly means? Do you recall what it means? Do you practice neighborliness? Jesus says, I'm going to show you what it means from someone that you reject and don't consider a neighbor. They never considered the Samaritan a neighbor at all, but they were to discover something this time as they traveled along what I call the Calvary Road. Then there's the parable of the prodigal son with this awesome revelation of what the heart of God is like when a person who has lived a wasted life comes back to him. The parable is an invitation to look at the love of the Father. And we want to see the love of the Father, and that's what Jesus wants to teach on this last journey, this last great journey, the Calvary Road. Then there's the story of rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, El Azara. The one who God helps is what Lazarus means. So we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus again in the Gospel of Luke. With this powerful reminder that to neglect the less fortunate when we have the opportunity and means is to grossly miss the heart of God which he has for poor people. Then there's the story of the cleansing of the ten lepers with the obviously needed reminder to be thankful for God's wonderful gifts to us. God has blessed us and loaded us with many of his gifts. Don't ever forget to be thankful. The story of the ten lepers is the story of the 10% response. One out of ten said thank you to Jesus. And Jesus asks that penetrating question, where were the other nine? Where are the other nine? Is your response only 10%? Have you thought that tithing included saying thank you? With this as a little background, I want all of us to see Jesus on this last trip. I want us to see two particular things that I believe tell us something about our Lord as he takes this last journey. First of all, I want us to see the loneliness of Jesus as he travels this road. The road that will end up with his death on a Roman cross. And secondly, I want us to see the great courage of our Lord Jesus as he walks the road alone. Think with me then of Calvary which to me it seems is essentially a lonely road. Notice with me Mark's gospel once again, chapter 10, verse 32, where it says Jesus was walking on 
ahead of them. Now Jesus was a humble person, actually the epitome of humanity and of humility. And he had not followed the custom of the proud rabbis, which was to walk in front of the disciples. Jesus had always walked with, it, with his disciples, side by side, never way up in front, but side by side. But now here, there's a strange difference. He's walking on ahead of them. He was by himself, probably several steps or yards ahead of his disciples. And I want you to notice the reaction of the disciples from the text itself. They were amazed and fearful. That was the reaction of the disciples with Jesus on ahead of them and they behind. And we have to ask ourselves, why, why, why this reaction on the part of the disciples? They had made similar trips before. Why should the disciples now be amazed and fearful? And I think they were amazed and fearful for good reason. First, the disciples were afraid and amazed because of what seemed to be an action that wasn't much like the Jesus that they knew and loved. He had never been aloof, not proud, and yet he, here he is walking on ahead of them all by himself. And this startled them. This was totally unexpected. And all things that are different and unexpected are often uncomfortable. And the second reason, and more to the point, was the face of Jesus. I want you to notice your Bibles again. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 51 and 53. And note the references to the face of Jesus. He resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. There was something about his face that said to them that he was on a journey, he was on a road that would have no turning back, that he was resolute, determined that he would complete that journey. And there was that look that scared the disciples. Then we also notice that Jesus was not received because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. They knew he was on his way. And the road would lead only to one place. And that was Calvary. That was the hill where the journey, in one sense, ended. And the disciples were astonished and fearful because of what they recognized in the face of Jesus. When you sing the chorus, Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. I'd like to ask the question, which Jesus do you want to see? Do you want to see the Jesus happy, smiling, at ease with his disciples? Or do you want to see a compassionate Jesus or a majestic, triumphant Jesus. In this passage, I suggest you have a view of Jesus that we don't often think about. We don't often see the Jesus who has his face resolute and determined to go to Calvary. That's where I'm going. We'd much rather see the friendly Jesus. The fun Jesus, rather than to see the one who's resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
There are a few passages in the gospel that speak of the face of Jesus. There's one in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2. We're at the transfiguration, the, first, the face of Jesus is set to shine like the sun. Other passages speak of the face of Jesus as that face upon which they spit. And still others, those who slapped his face. There's one reference that tells us that the face of Jesus had been bound with claws as he lay in the tomb. In verse 51 of chapter 9, we see a resolute, determined, fixed, focused look in the face of Jesus. In verse 53, the people don't even want Jesus around because of the frightening look on his face. Actually, as Jesus walks the Calvary Road, he knows exactly what is before him. And what's before him? Your salvation and mine and millions of others is before him. The agony of the Garden of Gethsemane is before him. The terror of the cross is before him, along with its terrible forsakenness. The betrayal of Judas and the abandonment of the disciples is before him. All of what we read in Mark's gospel before, that also is before him. All of these things and more are before Jesus. And I suspect that all of these are reflected in his face as he walked onward toward Jerusalem. The Father's will, the love of Jesus for his sheep, make his footstep firm, his face resolute, determined. This is the Calvary Road, folks. Let's ask ourselves some questions. What do you know and what do I know of the kind of determination that Jesus had as he resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem? What would your face show if you knew for sure that this week, on Friday, you would be beaten, abused, then murdered, and then your closest friends would walk out on you, and even your parents would forsake you? What would your face be like? What would your road be like? Do you know that kind of Jesus that walks a lonely road? What would your face show if you knew for sure that next week on Friday you would carry the blame and the guilt for all of the murders and robberies and rapes and domestic abuse in Oakland, San Francisco, Richmond, and Pittsburgh all put together? What would your face show? If you knew all of this, would you try to escape? Would you try to get out of, out of this kind of road? Or would you go willingly, directly to the place where all of this would happen? This is the Calvary Road. How much do any of us here know of steadfastness? How much do any of us here know of hanging in there, really hanging in there? It's so easy to bail out. If we don't like it, we can take a hike. 
It's so much easier to blame someone else so that we can get out of an uncomfortable situation. Several years ago, one of my Bible students gave me a gift. It was a little sign. And it had these words on the sign. Persevere. And they pointed in one direction. There was no, this was a sign that was not a U-turn or a left turn or a right turn. It was straight ahead. Persevere. And I keep that in my study and I see it every day. Every day I see this sign that says to me, persevere, Hugo. Persevere. Don't give up. Persevere. To determine to follow Jesus can be a very lonely decision, particularly when it's not what your friends are doing or it's not what your business associates are doing or it's not even what the people at the church are doing. You know, one can get awfully lonely on this kind of path. However, this is the characteristic of the Calvary Road. The second view of Jesus I want us to see is on the other side of the coin, and that is the courage of Jesus. Note at the end of verse 32 and verse 33 in our first reading. At least three times in John's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples the things that are going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And again at verse 32, Jesus says this through the writer Mark. And again, he took them aside. And I don't want you to miss that word again. And again, he took them aside. Once more, he's going to explain to them the things that were going to happen to him as he continued to walk the Calvary Road. And how patient of our Lord, how compassionate, how understanding of human weakness. Again, he takes him aside. How many times had he done that? How many times does he do it today? And again, he took them aside. And I want you to personalize this. And again, he took Hugo aside. What do you think he said to me? Or what do you think he says to you? As he takes one aside. How gracious of him. He knows how dense I am. He knows that I, I need his word again spoken to me. He knows that I need all the reminders I can get. Any of you this way? Are you willing to be again taken aside in order that you might really hear the story, the Calvary Road story? It's not a pretty story. May the Lord help us as we deal with people. May the example of Jesus speak deeply to us. Yes, we may need to tell people more than once, even more than twice, or even three times. Let's not give up on people. If you've invited people for Easter, do it again. Do it again. If you shared the gospel with an individual, do it again. Do it again. Because this might be the time when they respond. I'm so glad that someone did it another time with me. 
Mark's gospel records for us what is going to happen as he outlines the words of Jesus on three separate occasions. And each time the prophecies in Mark's gospel grow a little bit dimmer, a little bit more grim. And some further detail of the horror facing him in Jerusalem is included. The first prophecy in Mark tells them in a bare announcement which emphasizes the necessity of of his death and resurrection. So he tells them that time, I want you to know that my death and resurrection is an absolute necessity. He wants them to know that. The second prophecy in Mark's chapter, Mark's gospel chapter 9 and verse 31 stresses the certainty of the approaching death while adding a new element, namely that Jesus would be betrayed into the hands of men. He would be betrayed. That's such a, an awful word, betrayed. But that's what he undertook, was betrayal. And lastly, the third time, he again takes the 12 aside and gives them a third prediction. This time it's the more detailed of the three. There are at least seven different things mentioned. And I want you to notice them in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, 33 and 34. He is going to be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. He will be condemned to death. The word condemnation suggests some kind of trial. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock and spit on him. They will scourge him. They will kill or crucify him. He will rise again in three days. And I want to call your attention to the fact that for a Jew to be handed over to the Gentiles is to do something that is inexplicable to the Jew to be handed over to the Gentile, to the pagan, to the unbeliever. And that's why I call this this part of the passage the courage of Jesus. Obviously, he knew what was going to happen to him, and yet he continues on toward Jerusalem. Now, there are two kinds of courage. First, there is a kind of blind courage. This is the kind of thing you do almost without thinking. Several years ago, a man jumped into the icy Potomac River and rescued several people following an airplane accident. When this person was asked why he did it, he said it happened so fast they didn't have time to think. And we call this kind of courage blind courage when you do something almost without thinking. He just jumped in. There were people to be saved, so he jumps in and gets them. And the other kind of courage is the kind where a person clearly sees the dangers, who sees very clearly the problem. It's where somebody has plenty of time to think Plenty of time to change their mind. And yet this person goes ahead. And I call this courage. Real courage. I call it focused courage. Great courage. Thank you, Lord, for your courage. Because you knew exactly what was going to happen to you. What kind of courage would you call that? What kind of courage will you call that, particularly when you recognize that it's for you and for me? 
There is purpose in that courage. If you knew you were going to be criticized, would you continue doing what you were doing? Does it require courage to be a Christian in Alamo, in Dublin, in my town, Moraga, Lafayette, Walnut Creek? Does it take courage to be a Christian there? Does it take courage to invite them out to church? Well, thank you, Lord, for your courage in pressing on. Even, you, even though you knew what was going to happen. Well, in conclusion, there are three lessons I would like for us to gather from the Calvary Road. First, I have come away from this study more conscious than ever that Jesus must have loved me supremely. That he loved you supremely. That Jesus would walk these many miles, fully aware at every step that at the end of the road, death awaited him. Jesus was completely focused on our redemption, regardless of the cost. Secondly, it's one thing to focus on something for a little while, and it's quite another thing to remain focused, to stick with it. Jesus on the Calvary Road teaches us the discipline of perseverance. No turning back. And the third lesson I want us to notice comes from the road itself. Have any of you ever been on the Calvary Road? Walking with Jesus doesn't mean just listening to great teaching. It's not just miracles and wonders and healings and great crowds. Joining Jesus on the Calvary Road, the lonely road, the road that leads to dying to self and being alive to God means walking a very painful road. A road where people will misunderstand you, perhaps even despise you. And one last thing about the road, and this one I like very much. The road doesn't really end with the death of Jesus. The road continues three days after he died. The road continues to the resurrection and then to the Mount of Ascension and then to an exalted place on the right hand of God the Father. For us, too, the road goes beyond this life. It goes on to being with the Lord Jesus now and forever. I want you to listen in closing to what the Apostle Paul had to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I'm on the road, but I've finished the course. Wherever that road takes me, I have finished the course. I was not deterred. I finished the course that God gave for me to walk. And in the future, and I love this, there has been laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Come, Lord Jesus. Stay on the course. Finish the course. Love is appearing.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for having already walked the walk. The walk that led to Jerusalem. The walk that led to Calvary. The walk would, which would eventually bring you back to God the Father to the resurrection, to the ascension, to being with you. Thank you, Father, that you have set the course for us. Lord, give us the courage, the strength, the outlook that we need. Help us to finish the course. Bless each person here today, Father, that you would Help each of us to be focused so that we might finish that course which you gave us to do. Bless each person here. And may, Father, we know, really know the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. Dismiss us with your blessing. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.